Hello and welcome to Journeys, a series of podcasts from Cultural Enterprises. My name is Jill Fennick and I am the Chief Executive of the Association for Cultural Enterprises. Over the course of the series, I will be chatting with colleagues from across the cultural sector, all in senior roles and commercial activities, in a bid to unearth the person behind the job title. This series was prompted by a reflection on my own journey in our sector, much of which was more by accident than design, and a curiosity about the journeys of others. We'll find out how they got here, what they've learned along the way, and their thoughts on the future of our sector. I hope you enjoy the series. Today I have with me Rita Rooney, buying and merchandise manager at the Museum of London. Welcome, Rita. We are so pleased you could join us today and thanks so much for agreeing to take time to have a chat with me. If I can, I'd like to start off on your journey with a a broad question about how you started out in the sector. Um, I suppose I should go back to um, when I left college, I worked in high street retail for a while. So I worked for Heels and for um, Jaeger for a while. Um, and then I applied for a job at Madame Tussauds of all places Goodness. and so um, that's where I started out my uh, my buying I'm not sure if it's cultural is the right word but it was a great it was a great place to work it was really fun place to work um, so I was there for three years as a buying um, buying manager there for mm-hmm. three years so it gives you a good grounding and certainly is a very very busy place so high volume sales was that the London branch, presumably? Yes. Yeah, something? yeah. So at that point, it also had the planetarium there. And there was also mm-hmm. a uh, music venue called Rock Circus, which I was also responsible for mm-hmm. buying products for. So it was quite a diverse mixture of mm-hmm. products. Um, and then I was I went to um, the Design Museum as head of retail after that. So mm-hmm. that was my sort of first cultural role, I suppose. And then I've been moving around the sector ever since, apart from a kind of big gap of six years when I had children. So from the Design Museum, which must have been a lovely job, I assume, you went to National Theatre, was that right? I was at um, St Paul's for a little while and then Uh I worked um, sort of outside of the sector for a bit after that and then I had a sort of career break um, Mm -hmm. and then when I went back in, I went back into the South Bank Centre and then National Theatre and Museum of London where I've been now for five years. Marvellous. I want to ask you which one was best for any reason instead well, obviously uh, my current job obviously well obviously obviously <laughs> yes <laughs> when is the museum of london planning to relocate are you closed open at the minute what's happening there obviously these things are always subject to change um but the plan is i believe to open in the new in the smithfield market building um in 2024 Gosh, so it's, it's still quite a way off, um, but obviously it's it's a great project to be involved in because there's lots of planning to be done before that. Um, so yeah, and meanwhile we'll still have Museum of London Docklands open and an online shop, so there'll still be activity going on. Will the one you're in currently be closed before the other one opens? Yeah, I mean, in order to move, you know, thousands yeah. of uh, yeah. objects in the collection, obviously we need it needs to close, um, so it will go dark at some point and then obviously we'll be planning the um, the new museum opening and a, and a much bigger shop I'm glad to say okay, fantastic. So, yes lots more shop space in the new in the new museum that sounds great because it's already spilling out into the foyer isn't it where you are currently I can tell that your ambitions are bigger than the shop 
Yeah, so I mean, with the with the um, new sort of Smithfield building, it'll be a, obviously it's going to be a, a lovely um, building where the original features will be retained um, within yeah. the structure of the building, obviously to show its historical past. Um, mm -hmm. And so then within that, we'll have um, a shop window as well, which is good. We don't really have that at the moment. No. And there's the opportunity for the shop to be open, you know, outside of the museum hours or Fantastic. it could be a standalone shop. Um, so that will be great. That is a terrific bonus, a shop window, isn't it? But do you think then that, that Smithfield is as much of a tourist area then as where you are currently? Um, where we are currently, um, if people um, are sort of not aware of the building, there's a lot of, um, there's a high walkway around the yeah. Barbican. So we're yeah. next to the Barbican. Yeah. So we don't really have ground floor. Um, access which can be a bit of a barrier so there's a physical barrier of having True. to go up an escalator or stairs or something to actually yeah. get into the building so to be at ground floor level is obviously going to be um, much more accessible for visitors um, plus we're sort of within the sort of cross rail area so we're mm -hmm. next to Farringdon station which should be quite a central hub once that's obviously running, because there's obviously been lots of delays with that. But by the time we're open, that should be open and a very sort of busy, bustling kind of area by that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's already a very lively sort of nighttime area, if you like, for eating and things. Yeah, like that, definitely, it? definitely. So yeah, it'll be it'll be an amazing. You know, when the, I've seen all the plans, obviously, and so it'll be amazing when it's all open. It'll be you know brilliant building and there'll be lots of um, sort of public spaces for people to move around in and you know it'll be, it'll be very welcoming and very open yeah, yeah. almost the hub of that area won't it because it is yeah, so yeah. huge really yeah fantastic well this job which is your best job so far of course what is the best aspect of this current role well my, my role within um, the museum has kind of evolved over time I suppose so um, now I'm because I'm responsible for all of the kind of retail areas so including the online shop um, the buying the merchandising and the operation I can kind of see the whole process through from start to finish mm -hmm. so that's that's obviously very um, satisfying satisfying that's the word I was yeah. trying to find <laughs> Um, so it's good to be able to, you know, affect that and to come up with ideas and then see those through to realisation. Obviously, the, the, you know, it's quite a small team, but mm -hmm. that's good in a way because it means you can react quite quickly mm -hmm. to any changes. Um, so there isn't like a big sort of hierarchy of decision making that needs to go on. So helpful, because it? we're, you know, we're not a massive museum, we're, we're not tiny, but we're sort of in the middle somewhere between those two really so it means we can be a bit more agile I think and um, you know plan things quite quickly um, and react to situations. Not everyone will know um, the the governance of the museum is that local authority or? We're kind of we're connected to the City of London Corporation um, uh -huh. and we're, we're financed jointly by the GLA and the Corporation of London um, and obviously also we raise lots of our own revenue through um, yeah. hospitality and, and corporate events is quite a major income generator for us cool. and obviously ticket income from exhibitions when they're charging exhibition. Tell us then Rita what in this in this career up to date that's uh, taken you to the Museum of London on this journey what, what have you been most proud of? We had a few years ago we were able to have a, a 
part of the Fatberg, the Whitechapel Fatberg. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was found, obviously, in the sewer in London. So as a museum, it was quite an amazing thing to, you know, people are going to think, well, why would you put that on show? But obviously, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a great story surrounding it. Yeah. Um, and just the, you know, the fact that it, it's, it's, there's a tail there to make sure people don't put things down the, down the drains because they end That's up right, blocking exactly. the sewers and all Is the implications. Is it still there or has it melted? Um, it's actually in a it's in a box so there is still a fat cam I think where you can watch it sort of disintegrate or change um, fat cam. But, but the fact that as a museum you know it was obviously it was an idea of the um, the museum director Sharon she heard about it and thought oh we could have we could have part of that on show and everyone kind of thinks yeah. well that's a crazy idea but actually it got us um, a lot of publicity and it was you know an important you know to be able to conserve a part of a fat bird it's quite an amazing kind of quite project sweet. really um, and then as part of that we kind of had a, a sort of ridiculous brainstorm about products that we could sell alongside the display of the Fatberg. <laughs> and you get all these sort of crazy ideas. But um, out of all of that, our, um, our stock controller, Kieran, did, did a sketch of a Fatberg kind of taking over the museum. Um, <laughs> so I saw he sent me the, the image and I thought, well, that's great. We could put that onto product. Um, so we sort of found a way to you know, make sure that he was paid fairly for his work and then sort of worked, worked with the supplier. And um, we had a, it looked like a kind of a B-movie, like a 50s sort of B-movie poster. Oh, so yeah. we just thought it was, it was great. It just looked, you know, it looked a bit crazy. And he was oh, kind of yeah. a luminous yellow kind of fatberg taking over the museum. So um, we thought, great, yeah, we could, we could use this illustration on product. So then made a kind of product range out of it. And we had a T-shirt. We had some absolutely disgusting fudge, which looked a bit like a fat bag. <laughs> um, and so I cho obviously I chose the rum and raisin flavour that had little currants in it because they looked like dead flies, you know. <laughs> Yummy. So and it, you know it sold very well, and we had quite a lot of publicity on <laughs> on the the range. Um, and it was you know it was. It was it was just quite funny, just quite tongue in cheek. So yeah, sure. you know, sometimes you can be quite irreverent, obviously, with things like that. It was um, just a good opportunity just to have a bit of fun. And it did actually sell really well, the, um, the range. And it was, an, it was an important kind of, you know, lesson to people about fatbergs and how they develop. And so, you know, altogether, it, it was it was something that was done very quickly, but it was very effective, you know, throughout the museum, but also our sort of product range kind of added to that, really. So it was quite yeah, fun. Yeah. We had hazard tape everywhere all around the shop area that had the <laughs> products in it and things. So it was quite fun. Obviously, we sell lots of rats because we sell lots. We sell oh, some no. rats and rat puppets and everything and <laughs> stretchy rats and, you know, stretchy rats. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. How very tasteful. It, well, it was not tasteful at all. I don't, I don't think the, the fudge probably tasted that nice either. So, well, but yeah, but it, but it sold well. The fudge was tasty, if not tasteful, then. That's <laughs> fantastic. What's the best piece of advice that anybody's ever given you? I suppose within, you know, within retail, you know, obviously if you're buying, I think everyone would know this if they're a buyer, that you need to be very objective. You need to be yeah. very impartial and really think about your customer's motivations for buying anything. So that's fairly basic, but, you know, and you need to, it needs to be sometimes quite obvious and not too obscure because sometimes if you're quite clever about things, 
it might be lost in translation somewhere, especially if you have overseas visitors. Um, but I think, you know, more general ad advice is if you take risks, you're bound to make mistakes at some point because that's the whole nature of taking a risk. Yeah. And as long as you realise that you can learn from that mistake and don't dwell on it and then just sort of move on, I suppose, really. Because we all have those, you know, those products where you think, oh, that didn't quite work as I'd hoped. But, you know, as long as, as, long as you haven't spent thousands of pounds on it, you know, if it's quite a, a, a limited budget that you've risked, I think it's always good to have a little bit of that, you know, amount of money that you can risk sometimes, because sometimes it will come right and then you've you've done a really good thing yeah. um but other times sometimes you just need to put it down to experience and just look on to the next risk maybe you can take in a small way really yeah yeah i think you mentioned at the beginning i think it's it's a link there to to the importance of understanding who your customer is as well you said not to you said to be objective in your buying and i think that's something that many people trip up over to be honest they buy many organizations tend to buy things because they like them um, and and I think that's a really valid point that you make that in our circumstances and in our outlets that the product ought to fit the the three there are two main things that, that the collections clearly because it is our unique story that we can tell and we have that that opportunity and then the visitor and we need to understand who that visitor is before we can confidently you know commission product I think would you agree yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's important to, you know, spend a bit of time in the shop. I mean, it's quite basic as well, but it's easy to get lost in the, you know, in the numbers as well sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just need to, otherwise, if you, if, you, if you never really spend time in the shop or going around other, other museum shops or just the high street or just having your, you know, eyes and ears open generally to whatever is going on at the moment, then you'll pick up ideas so yeah it's just being yeah. open to yeah. you know what's going on in the in the world really I suppose yeah that sounds yeah. Perhaps, ridiculous, taking that, but... perhaps taking that customer journey from outside the building <clears throat> at every stage in through the process of approaching the shop and what does it look like is it inviting and actually do people know there's a shop there in the first place as you're saying you are quite well hidden not that there's anything you can do about that but I always think that taking the customer journey taking a step out of yourself and outside yeah, yeah. Is, is really educational and um, just being aware of their experience in your building and as you say you know is it is it visible enough what's the first impression they get when they walk out of the gallery and see the shop yeah. um is it enticing enough to bring them in is it welcoming Absolutely. you know so that yeah it's there's they're all sort of i suppose they're all quite basic things but sometimes you can get just wrapped up in it and then you just need to spend time just putting yourself in the place of the customer, I suppose. Absolutely. And it's it's something that, you know, big or small, we can all lose sight of. So that's a really good piece of advice to put yourself in the place of your customer. For the future then, the future of cultural retail over the next five years or so, um, what, what do you think it might look like and what changes might we plan for or foresee? I think, well, I think what's... Um, the pandemic has kind of taught us we can't really rely on the on the visitors coming into the building to to generate income really you can't just rely on that anymore um, so that that sort of as, as well as it sort of accelerated every other sort of digital innovation I suppose um, what was interesting was 
within our organization certainly there was a lot more collaboration because there had to be so there was a lot more activity within the digital um, sort of innovation side of things really and I think it just you know make makes us think about the whole experience and how we reach out to um, other audiences really and not just relying on those within the four walls of the museum I think that was what was quite interesting and obviously from my point of view I'm thinking well how can we monetize that because there was that danger that everything was just given away for free um, so we had lots of fantastic you know activities in terms of you know brilliant learning activities and we had something called museum of funden which was good it's a good name um so the learning department did an amazing job in all these sort of free free resources and things which were brilliant because it obviously everyone's learned you know, sort of teaching their kids at home so they needed as many resources as possible um but you just wonder going forward is there is there a way to capitalize on that you know experience and the sort of curator's experience um and then try and find a way to monetize it a bit yeah, more going absolutely. forward I think really. that's a really really um important proposal that, that, that you suggest I think that's something that's um much underexplored at the moment um as you say it came to the fore during COVID and we have to look at ways of generating income that are off-site, don't we? And, and that can be delivered as well as being delivered on-site, obviously. They can be delivered off-site. Yeah, but, because yeah. there's so much, there's so much opportunity, there's so much potential there with a much wider audience, really, rather than yeah. preaching to those people who are in the building and just having the usual selling, selling to them. You know, there are, you know, there's lots of, I think there probably is lots of ways such as, I don't know, subscription boxes seems a kind of obvious one, yeah. how you could monetize, you know, how, how you could actually organize that, I'm not sure, but um, things like, I think the Tank Museum have got all different levels of membership where people yeah. can get exclusive access to certain tours and things. And obviously there's Smartify as well, which is quite a, you know, relatively new activity that's going on that you can yes. you know capitalize on as well so I think there's 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 a lot of potential there and it just it the our e-commerce site became critical like very important because it was the only way for us to generate any revenue so Absolutely. there's a lot I can see there's a lot of you know there's a lot more expertise at the moment being um brought into the sector I think in terms of digital in terms of e-commerce so that'll be interesting going forward really to see how that develops um it was I read an interesting article actually um last year it, I think it was in the Rolling Stone or something which is kind of a strange place for it but it was saying that museums you know need, need could if they could all work together to try and work out a way to to sort of to sort of coordinate coordinate their digitization I suppose because mm -hmm. newspapers didn't and so they mm -hmm. have to give away a lot of content for free and it kind of devalues your expertise a little bit yeah. so if museums could get get together and find a way to to monetize it in a bit more of a clever way that they're all working yeah. together then yeah. that that yeah. could be a good opportunity really well that's really interesting that is a really interesting sort of um perception because I've heard some of that going around but I'm sure we will come to to it in the future again but I think you're right I think that the key message is the key takeaways it shook us all up it shook us all into the digital situation far quicker than we ever would have been we suddenly realized we couldn't depend on visitors I guess your visitors were 
from overseas would that be right generally it's about 50 percent <clears throat> overseas and it's 50 percent sort of london or uk based so obviously we haven't really had the overseas visitors come back so that in itself has has yeah. sort of forced yeah. a rethink of the shop ranges and just you know there isn't so much selling of tourist products anymore Indeed. so no. you're selling you're selling to people who are you know londoners or uk based so you just yeah. need to maybe put yourself in their shoes a bit more and not think about the, the London, the tourists to London so much at the moment. Two very personal questions next, Rita. What gets you out of bed in the morning? There's always something new to get involved in, really. Um, there's always challenges. There's always something interesting going on. Certainly in our organisation, we, as I say, we try to sort of capitalise on any opportunities. So... It doesn't feel like it's the same day twice, if, no, if you know what no, I mean. So that, that's always, <laughs> no, no. So it's, there's always something interesting, something new, some sort of opportunity that you can get involved in. Um, we have quite a lot of cross sort of collaboration, especially with our new museum plans. So of course, of course. that's yeah. always quite interesting. So it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a chore sort of, I mean, obviously, you know, work is work, but um and the fact that you know there's a better work-life balance with working yes. some time from home as well now and still oh, yeah, going into the office so that's that always helps as well you just feel like you're not spending all this time commuting you're actually just getting um, you know I do more work probably because I'm, I'm using my commuting time to just carry on working so and lastly where is your happiest place it probably sounds a bit soppy but just to be with my family is my happy place it's not particularly mm -hmm. a place it's just as long as you know you have the people that you love around you then that's that is my sort of happy place I suppose so that is absolutely lovely Rita so thanks ever so much Rita for joining us today we've enjoyed every minute of the half hour that we've had with you and the insight into the Museum of London which I guess many of our members won't even have visited so thanks again and we look forward to seeing you soon take care right thanks for the opportunity thank you